Well, we're in the midst of this series titled Made for More, and it occurred to me, I guess more this week than any, uh, the importance of recognizing how God has moved in history. You know, like I said, we live in this place of, I think, some health confusion and uncertainty and worry, understandably, and this pandemic that we're seeing global kind of rising again in. We have different views on all of that. Our political climate is heading for another kind of epicenter in the next few days. And uh, I wanna just give you a picture of something that I find incredibly powerful, even in light of what we're teaching, that I, I think there's a providence to that and a joy in that. And it's simply this, Jesus came to change the world in Galilee. He did not come to Rome. He did not even interact with Rome. And there's a beautiful picture in that, in that Jesus came to change the world in unknown, un insignificant places. And yet, where do we always go? We would go to Rome. We would go to the places that are most significant. And make no mistake, this isn't even just how Jesus came. This is how God's moved in history. God picked a man who was nomadic, no land, no really prestige or power, Abram, to be the one that would be kind of the, the seed with which life would change, that God would bring hope. And then he'd give Abram this kid in his old age, a crazy, miraculous way to do it that makes no sense. And no, just oddly, even how he moved. And if you start to play through Israel's history, even in the midst of their early days, as the family is growing, their son that seems to be the one to bring significance goes to slavery and then ultimately to prison. And somehow God moves through that to usher in change. David, who's chosen as the first king of Israel, really the first one he chooses, they choose their own, is chosen from a family that basically they look at all the sons and go, no, 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 and don't even consider him because God moves in the places that are insignificant and unknown. That's how he moves. Even the people that are highlighted, people like Rahab, this woman who had a very checkered past is highlighted significantly in scripture. People like Ruth that just kind of came along and served in unique ways. And we could go person after person because God moves in powerful ways that are not in the epicenter of what life is as we know it. Now that's meaningful for us because we understand Every one of us is made for more. That's what we've been looking at in this entire series is that each one of you is made for more. You may not realize it, but the world will change through us, not even through whether or how a pandemic changes or who's in office or what goes on in our nation and our state and even our region. God has made his people to be the one the world is transformed through. And we're going to look in this week as we continue this series, how each one of you, how each one of us together is made for more, that God has a destiny and a calling and something in your life that's profound and powerful to not only be meaningful for you, but to change the world around you. As I said, we're in the middle of this series. We've been going through a letter that Paul, one of our earliest church leaders, writes to a church in Ephesus, a place he's been for many years, writes back to them when he's in jail in Rome and writes this letter encouraging them because Paul has watched how God is moving to change the world through these early people that follow Jesus, that they're made for more. And the whole letter, in essence, is saying, you need to remember you're made for more. And each week in this, what we want for you to do is make a shift. We think God wants to move us from the way we think and act to a new way. And so in chapter one, we looked at this very simple shift from more effort to more Jesus, that we don't just work harder and try more, that we need to know who he is more and discovering more of him changes everything. 
It's a shift in how we move to understand we're made for more. Two weeks ago, it was Thad who talked about the shift from more volunteers to more masterpieces. Church isn't something you just come and participate in and serve. God has made you uniquely and crafted you to be part of this tapestry of what it is he calls his church, his people, the transforming power in the world. And then last week, the guys, Evan here and several of the other guys in our other campuses looked at this idea from moving from more guilt to more love that we want to discover how much Jesus loves us. We're not working harder, trying to give more effort. We're not trying to earn kind of what it is God wants. We need to receive from him this un relenting, beautiful love that he has. This reckless love, if you will. And this week we're in chapter four and we're gonna look at another facet of how you're made for more, seeming to me to be very timely, even in the midst of things kind of chaotically closing down again and the pandemonium of political leadership continuing to kind of drive to an epicenter. I want us to begin where Paul begins in this chapter In chapter four, in this letter, he starts with this idea that every one of you as followers of Jesus is to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, there's something profound that God has made you for, and don't settle for much less than you could, which we often do. It's how he begins, and he gives two pictures of this. One is the picture of the church itself together in unity. He speaks of how we're called to this unique unity, and he says these seven different times, he says one in three verses. We're one body, meaning one body together as a church. We have one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We're called to one hope, hope in Jesus, and that hope is our one Lord. We have one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In essence, what he's saying is together we are the church and we bring something no one else can. There's a oneness in us. There's a unity that we're called to. There's a purposeful coming together that we're meant for. And we would say that's the purpose of every follower of Jesus. It's common. You and I come together to be the church. We call it an ecclesiastical oneness that we're to be the people of God in a way that moves together. It's a beautiful picture that we're to have, that's the commonality. Then Paul moves us over to the uniqueness. This is how we're to be one. So that's a major role all of us play. We'd say it's one part of our calling together in the church. Then he also says this, oops. He says this, you also, each one of you, each one of us, a grace has been given. In other words, God's, Jesus has imparted a unique kind of blessing into your life, a grace. And he says it this way, as Christ apportioned it. In essence, what he's saying is every one of you is unique and different, and Jesus pours into you something unique that's like no one else. Now think about it this way. If you've come from a family that has more than one kid, if you grew up in this way, and even if you didn't, you'll understand it. Every child is uniquely given kind of an aspect of who they are through each parent and through their circumstances. Those two things shape them, and no one person is exactly like any other. Even if you take twins, there's still differences, right? You get it. Now, what I want you to understand is the very same way Jesus gives you a grace and says, guess what? There's something unique about you, like nobody else. Boy, there's the church, and there's the oneness of us, and we're going to look at that and how we move ahead. That's kind of our primary calling. Then there's this unique calling that God has made you like no one else, to be like no one else, to a world like nothing else, meeting needs around you in ways no one else can. That's what Paul is beginning to shape here. There's the church in its unity, which is its own power, and then there's the beauty of the uniqueness of how God's made you like no one else. 
When you go home today, you should look in the mirror and go, man, that is one stinking awesome piece of work. But you ought to say it to everybody else in your home too. I, I mean, we laugh, but I'm dead serious. I know it's funny, and it is funny. I mean, I say it sometimes just a joke. How you doing? Looking pretty good today. You need to understand, Jesus looks at you, and he goes, man, I love the way I made you. Did you not know you're made for more? I didn't just make you to be unique. That uniqueness will go into the world and do something different. And that's where Paul's gonna take us from here. He's gonna play this out for us now and how these two things happen. Common calling that we all have, but unique calling that God's made each one of us for in unique ways beyond that. And it does something to this commonality too. That's what I want you to see. So we continue in the passage. Paul then sets up for us this unique piece. And he says, so Christ gave, himself gave, and he's talking about these offices. We would call them roles in the life of the church. Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And he, he says it this way, and, and I will tell you, this is not, there's a lot of discussion over what that means very specifically. In essence, it's saying these different unique roles in the life of the church all come together. God gives them, God gives leadership, if you will, to the church. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because that's where things shift from the way we look at life. We tend to look at leaders and we say they're given authority and we follow in a sense that that's kind of a top-down thing. We call it a hierarchy in today's life. Hierarchy just literally means to have authority over others. So we say, oh, you're in charge, you're in power, you do and tell us what to do. That's how we view it. Now, that's not at all how Jesus switches all this, in case you don't know. If you've been around the church, you might. Jesus says it this way, hey, the son of man, meaning himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and even give his life, it says, as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is flipping leadership on its head and saying, guess what? I didn't come to show a hierarchy. I came to be a servant. And in fact, he goes further to say, if any of you wants to be kind of leading, you must be last. You must serve. You must become nothing. Servants are actually how you lead, not with a hierarchy and with power and with control. Now, if you're attending the church, that probably sounds good because you're like, that's right. You better not tell us what to do. And that's how we can be about it. But I want you to see more of this before we turn it back at you. Paul, who is an apostle, actually describes it in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel. In other words, here's my office, here's my role. Guess how I live it out? As a servant, thank you. I really appreciate that over there. The rest of you, a little light on the response. I don't know how to talk for a mask. Servant. So what is Paul? Servant. Now, here's where it's going to turn for you. That's a challenge to those of us in leadership, and it is our call. Our call is not to do things for you, it's to serve you and help you. But here's how that can play out poorly. And I'll just tell you a funny example from years ago. I remember I would have, this was in the earlier days of working in the church. It might be an older school thing, but sometimes when people give to the church, they think they pay your salary. So this is what I would hear. You know, I pay your salary. So uh, what are you going to do? I've got to tell you what to do because I pay your salary. Now, I don't know why they're always from the South when I mimic that. I went to first service, I ended up going to like, I pay your salary. You only do what I say you do or you're fired. It's how it works around here. 
You do what I want you to do. You're here to serve me. But who's the leader here to serve? Who does Paul say he serves? Jesus. Now here's the part that's, that changes everything. Because it's really fun to hear your leaders are here to, to help you. But guess what you're called to as well? This is how Paul continues to describe it. This is what I give these leaders for. They're to equip his people. That's our job to serve you, equipping you. Why? For works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. Now works of service, you, you see the last work here, right? It's of what? Of service. It means that basically we're to equip you to become servants. You see, we need to know we're made for more, but here's one of the things that has to shift. All of us have to let go of control. Because here's what we do, even in the life of the church. Well, the church is going to share what they think, and I'm going to evaluate what I think, and I might be involved at levels I think I should be in ways I want to that benefit me. As long as it's along with what I think is best, then I'll move along because guess what? I'm in control. You hear the power dynamic, don't you? Paul is saying, throw the power away. Guess what? God made leaders to be servants. And guess what else? He made the people to do works of servants. In essence, to be servants on mission. It's a beautiful picture, servants on mission. We'll come back to it. But I want, you to, I want you to consider this of works of service. That's what servants do. That, that means we're out doing these works. Now, that might confuse you, but Paul gives even a bigger, beautiful play to this earlier in Ephesians. Because we as Christians believe God gives us salvation. It means he does the work for us to save us. And then we say things like, it's not by works. In other words, we don't earn it. Paul describes very clearly how this works. He says it this way. Earlier in Ephesians, he says, it is by grace you have been saved, meaning God's the one who came to you out of love for you through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, your works don't bring about, it's not your effort. It's not you earning it from God. But then he turns it around and explains it. Once you've been given this grace, you need to understand why God does this. He does it because he's made you his handiwork. He created you in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. In other words, God dreamed about how he made you. And he made you not only to receive his grace and forgiveness, but to do works, good works in him. In essence, what it is, is our end of this, that you're made for more is simply this. You let go of control and you become servants on mission. In other words, you become servants out to do good works. You're servants on mission in every aspect of your life. There's the life of the church that we're coming together in oneness. There's also this unique way Jesus has crafted you to send you out on mission, servants on mission. Did you know we have a word for that today? It's a word we use a lot in the church, but when we hear it, we minimize it to this small group of people that have a very particular way they serve on mission. You know what the word is? It's missionary. You know what a missionary is? Someone who's sent on mission. Do you know that every one of you as followers of Jesus, every one of you online watching as followers of Jesus is a servant sent on mission. You are a missionary. Whew. That's wonderful and amazing. 
And I love the way Paul tells it. You see, God made you. You're his handiwork. He doesn't just go now, go serve. He goes, listen, I'm giving you this joy of who I am and I love you, but I'm making you for more than this. I am wiring you in a way no one else is that you will do things and serve people and go on mission in ways no one else can. Whew, come on. That's amazing. He's saying, I'm not relying on any power or any system or any government. I am relying on you. You're going to change the world. Servants on mission. Missionaries. Paul goes on to describe this in more detail and what happens as a result. He says it this way. He talks about us being built up and he says, how does that look? Until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So here's the picture. Paul is giving us a picture of the church becoming who we're meant to be. He's saying we have people that become one, one in faith, one in baptism, one in the Lord, one in spirit. As we grow in that, we actually build unity. He's saying that as we serve and do works, we build unity, that this knowledge of him grows and we become mature. So let me ask you, we can ask it of our church, we can ask it of any church around here or even in our nation, are we unified? No. Guess what that means? It doesn't mean we don't think correctly. It doesn't mean we don't vote the same. It doesn't mean we don't have the same values on masks or no masks or COVID or what we think about it. It means that you and I are maturing in him and that's how unity grows. So if we're not unified, I hate to tell you, but we're not growing up. Now that's the hard side of this. The beautiful side is what Paul's saying is, guess what? We grow up as we become servants on mission. As we become people who want to be united together as his church and say, you know what? I can't do this alone. I don't care what you think, vote, or even believe about all this stuff. I will walk to you and I love you in those differences. Man, God's calling us to a unity. What we share in common is one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Father and God over all, one hope, one hope, one hope. Do you hear that? Like, it's powerful to me to hear what Paul's telling us. And what's so beautiful about this is he's saying, guess what? You and I grow up as we do this. Do you know that as you and I serve others on mission, it causes a growing in us? It matures us. Isn't that cool? Do you know that when you're out in your workplace and you're person on mission and you are just asking, Lord, what and how can I minister today? How can I take who I am and bring that to where I'm working? And God gives a little thought to you or you have a nice idea of how to love and care for someone. That is the church on mission. That is you as a missionary. Do you know when your neighbor loses their job and you bring meals to them? That is a servant on mission. Do you know when you're sitting in your chemo time and there's people around you and you're caring for them. That is you being sent on mission. And not only do you mature, but the whole church grows up as each one of us do that. Isn't that awesome? Come on. You get sent out and we all grow from it. And we come back together in unity and oneness and build in another way the common calling, but this unique calling is different and unique to you. It's beautiful. 
I love this last part, Paul says, we get filled to the fullness of Christ. This measure fills us up. Paul speaks about this fullness multiple times in, uh, in Ephesians. It's really quite profound. He, he says three times fullness. And it's kind of a picture of fullness in a different way. I, I love how he shows it. So if you go all the way back to Ephesians 1, he actually describes Jesus. He says God placed everything under his feet. He appointed him head over everything. That's the church. And then he says the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Fullness, by the way, means fullness in case you don't know. I'm figuring you do, so I'm not bothering to explain it. But here's the beauty of it. Did you know that us together shows people the fullness of Christ as we mature and grow? Do you realize what will change the world? It's us. Do you realize Jesus put in, it's called an ecclesiastical fullness. In his church, he said, when my church is together, when they're doing the things the way they're called to, there's the fullness of me in there. That's where I put it. Whew. Come on, you tell me you're not made for more? We're made to be who he is in the world. When people say, I wish I saw Jesus, you go, man, I want them to see it in his church because he put the fullness of us, of himself there. Now, then he makes it personal. In chapter two, he describes this love that he has for us. And he says, may you, may you experience the love of Christ, which is the fullness of him. That's personal. It means Jesus also wants to give to us the fullness of his love and joy in each one of you completely, individually. So many of the times we look and we're either trying to earn ourselves to him or hide the things that we're ashamed of to him. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I love you right here, right in this brokenness. I love you so much. That's actually why I come to forgive so I can help restore that. I love you in what's been done to you to create brokenness and what you've done to be broken. All of it. That's the fullness of Jesus' love. Tell me anywhere else you can go on the planet that people can love you for who you are exactly all of it. That's the fullness of Jesus. And he wants to give that to every single one of you. Every one of you wants to go, Don't, do you think that you're less than someone else? No, 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 no. I made you just the way I wanted and I love you exactly as you are. And guess what? All of you are my favorites. There's not one above the other. Don't go, well, that one does this for me and that one I gave more. No, no, no. Jesus loves you just the way he made you. Man, we need to discover that. And then Paul brings us to this final one. Guess what? The measure of the fullness of Christ will be found as you and I become servants sent on mission. And as we're sent on mission, guess what? We will reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of him. We mature as you and I become servants in the world around us. Did you know it changes how we live with each other? Come on, that's amazing to me. It's kind of counterintuitive. Hey, if I'm having troubles here, I better deal with all of it here. But guess what? You're going to mature and grow and help others even as you are servants out on mission uniquely in what God called you to do. It, later in this chapter, Paul literally says that this whole body who Jesus made, he joins us together, held by, and he calls it ligaments. They grow and build themselves up in love as each part does its work. In other words, as you and I discover how to be servants on mission, we get stronger and mature. On the sad side of this, I know that, that we're a bit anemic and that we haven't really believed this, that we've settled for control, we've settled for the church being something that we benefit from when it works for us, 
we haven't realized the church is actually Jesus represented in the world, called to be one. You want to know the greatest family. It's not your nuclear family. It's the New Testament family. I, I love your families, and I'd love for us all to be part of that. But the big family that changes the world is us together. <laughs> wow. And what Jesus, what Paul is saying through what he's seen with Jesus is, guess what? You and I will grow up as you find your unique calling. If you actually surrender to being a servant sent on mission, as you serve others, the body will be built up and grow. Something will change in us as you're all released to do what God made you to do. It seems so fitting right now because I think we get a little bit immobilized, you know? I can't go where I can go. I don't like the circumstances. I hate going out and wearing masks. I don't, my job is up in the air. I don't know what this means. I'm not sure where things are going politically. What's this mean for my foral? What's this mean for my future? Guess what? None of that is affected. And I don't know if you realize it, but if that goes well for you, there's a danger that you'll rest in that and not realize you're made for more. Because when life gets a little simpler, we step back and go, I kind of like this. But we don't realize, man, Jesus gave us a lot more than this. And we settle for a false comfort. And then when things go badly, we go, oh no, this is horrible. My life's falling apart. What am I gonna do if these things don't get better so I get over there? And that doesn't need to happen either because guess what? The church thrives when life's a mess. You see, we're made for more whether things go well or poorly. Our hope isn't whether and how the pandemic moves away. Our hope isn't in who gets elected on Tuesday at any level, presidential, state, local, any of it. Our hope is the fullness of Jesus given to us as his church together, given to us personally to know his incredible love and given to us uniquely to become servants on mission, missionaries that will grow up and become the people God made us to be. Stop believing our circumstances need to change to do it and start realizing every one of you are made for more. It will change as we step into it, not as we change what's going on around us. Every week we tell you there's a shift and this week it's this, from shifting from more hierarchy to more missionaries. It's very simply letting go of control at any level, whether it's who we look to or who we oversee, it's not building it out of power and authority and what we want. Instead, it's embracing your unique calling. You are a servant of Jesus sent on mission. I do wanna pray for us with this before we finish. And I also wanna tell you, we want this to move beyond just a momentary peace. And so we've invited you to respond every week that you just fill something out in the website. It's just our website, uh, allshores.org, and then slash made for more. There's a little response card where you say, listen, I'm in. And then you can check a little box that says, I'd like a pastor to follow up. We've already begun to contact people just so we can cheer you on and pray over you, God's blessing and anointing. That's our job, is to pray over and bless what he's doing and consecrate you. I wanna pray for you before we close now. Lord, I am asking your Holy Spirit to reveal to us that there is so much more in you than anything around us. From the mess of pandemic to the, even the mess of government. Lord, I say on all of our behalf, we put our hope in none of that. And we say we believe that you made everyone for more.
So I'm asking specifically today that many here would make a shift. They would learn to let go of control and they would say, I am your servant. I want to be sent on mission. And where they go, you would lead them and you would build us up and grow us up as we do our work for you, helping others. Oh Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us the unique way you've made each one and that we would embrace how you've wired us to minister and help others. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.